today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, on page 9 of your booklet. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. All right, well, it's good to be here today. Um, before we get going, I'm going to just pray for us, but I often come to a time where we, we get into a sermon and I've had a busy week and I've had stuff on, so whatever you need to do right now, maybe you landed at 12.30 last night from a flight, um, and whatever you need to do just in this next minute as we pray to just kind of get yourself centered, to get yourself back, take your shoes off, whatever it takes, so that you can engage with what we're going to talk about here in the scriptures over the next 20 minutes. Uh, that would be great. So let me just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just as we come to you with this um, passage, as we want to look at it and break it down and understand your words uh, more clearly, you know what we've gone through this week. You know what we show up here with. Uh, and we can't get rid of those things. It's part of life. But for the next 20 minutes, as we try to engage with your scripture, as we try to listen to your word and what you may have for us, let us just be centered in this space. Let us be in this room. Let us be able to hear your word and let it uh, penetrate our hearts, Lord. And if there's anything from me that's not of you, Lord, let it go away. But uh, let us just be able to engage with this text and really understand what you are trying to say. Uh, a pretty simple but beautiful message. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at Romans. We've been going uh, through a different, we've been going through different themes kind of throughout this year. Uh, and, and this is kind of a one-off, uh, different sermon again. So I kind of want to give some background to Romans and what's kind of going on uh, in this text. So as we look through Romans, this was written by a guy named Paul, and Paul was called Saul before he was called Paul, 
and he was a Pharisee, um, someone that stuck really harshly to the Torah and the traditions of Jewish culture, um, the Torah being the law, the first four books of the Bible, um, until he had a real kind of encounter uh, with Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus. And, and this changed his life. He started going from a, a place of being quite against uh, Christians uh, to kind of not being this religious elite person that he was, uh, to actually sympathizing and telling people who Jesus was about Jesus, the risen Savior. He then became an apostle. Um, that's when his name kind of changed to Paul. Uh, and an apostle is just a representative of Jesus. And he, and he went traveling around Europe telling people about Jesus and starting Jesus-following groups that we would call churches. Um, and sometimes he would write to these churches, and this is what he's doing here in Romans, is he's writing to one of these churches. And, and we know that this church, uh, if we go back a book in the Bible, in Acts, in Acts 18, we know that this church in Rome had both Jews and, and non-Jewish Christian people that were a part of uh, this church in Rome. And history tells us about this church in Rome, what was going on was uh, they were coexisting Jewish and non-Jewish kind of traditions under one kind of church. Uh, but then there was a guy named Emperor Claudius who came, and Claudius dispelled all the Jewish people outside of Rome um, for a time. And after about five years, those Jewish people were allowed to come back into Rome. Um, so they welcomed back, even Jesus-following Jewish uh, people were welcomed back into Rome. When they returned to Rome, they found these Jewish uh, Christians found that they walked into a church that no longer looked like the Jewish church that they were a part of, even though they let non-Jewish people into it. So five years previous, the church was probably filled more with culture and traditions that come out of the Jewish culture, even though they allowed people that were not Jewish. But then all the Jews left Rome, and now the Jewish people are coming back into their house of worship, and yet it doesn't look anything like the Jewish culture and tradition. It's taken on this new look. So there's tension now between Jewish and non-Jewish people. So Paul's goal in Romans was to unify the church while, while writing his fullest explanation of the gospel, or the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So that's kind of where we start. That's kind of the picture of Romans uh, that we're stepping into. And we step into a story that has two main focuses in Romans. Uh, there's a word justification and sanctification. How many of you are really understand justification and sanctification to its fullest? Me neither. So we're all we're all there together. So it's broken down into this idea of justification and sanctification. Justification is this being made right with God. Oftentimes we think of God way up here and we're down here. And through Jesus' death, we now can reach up to God. No, justification is even a stronger word than that. It means that we are raised to the same level as Jesus. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are made right with him. It was a single act 
it is an outside to inside kind of reflection that we make. It was nothing that we did, it was outside of our bodies, but that justification, that single act from Jesus now should change the way that we live and move and act inside. So it's an outside in. I think of it like a train ticket, right? You pay for the train ticket one time to get you on the train, but then you might be sitting on the train on a long journey and, and, and a conductor comes by and goes, oh, can I see the ch that ticket? And you pull it out knowing that, no, I've paid, I'm on this train, I've got this. Justification is the same thing. It lasts our whole lives, but that one act that Jesus had uh, of saving us or making us right, declaring us equal with him, that is something that we always need to come back to. It's outside of us, it was nothing we did, but it should affect our inside. And as we kind of grapple with scripture and understand that gospel and that beautiful picture even more deeply, that should affect the way that we live our lives. And then the second part of Romans, he talks about this idea of sanctification. And sanctification is just a big word that, uh, that means to be set apart or to be made holy. It is a lifelong process. Because we are justified, because we are made right, we want to live this inside-out kind of lifestyle. We want to understand his word. We want it to affect us inside and deeply. And then as we go out and as we live our lives, it shows throughout our lives. So justification, outside-in. Sanctification, inside-out. Sometimes as Christians or as church people, we can just try to mix those around. We can try to make our sanctification look nice on the outside by obeying some rules, but it really hasn't affected our inside. I have a little daughter who just probably is in the infant care room, who sometimes when she eats, um, you can see that she eats because it didn't make it in her mouth. Okay, it's all over her body. And, and, and I picture that sometimes with our sanctification. It's like, it's visibly there that we are trying to go through this process of sanctification, but the things are not penetrating to our hearts. We're not getting them on the inside where the, the nurturing uh, and the nutrition actually happens. It's all right to look okay outside, but if it's not penetrating and actually changing the way that we are on the inside, sanctification isn't really living out. So that's justification and sanctification. When we get that wrong, our sanctification or being made right or being made holy, when sanctification makes us justified, it becomes a very works-based thing. Because I do these things for God, because I try to live this life, because I try to be very good, I am now justified. If that's what makes me right, that is work salvation. That is wrong. Our justification, because what Jesus did, nothing we could do on our own, because it's grace alone, that nurtures our sanctification and our coming back to why we want to be set apart, why we want these things to affect our insides so that we live out. That's the godly process. So we pick up a story in Romans where Paul is trying to write to the church. You know, he, he's bringing in these concepts of you know, trying to unify them. 
but also talking through this idea of justification and sanctification. And we're going to just bring two points out of this text, and they are, are very simple because my mind works like a 13-year-old, okay? Um, they're two simple points, but hopefully it's something that we can take, take away with us. So if we look back at the text, the first point is God's got your back. You got me, I got you. Verse 31 is that key verse. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That should be a full stop. End the passage there. Don't need anything more. This is a major point. Can we take God at his word if he's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's kind of a rhetorical question. That if we truly believe in this God that created the whole world and he is for us, then what do we have to worry about in this life? When have you ever felt so secure in your life? Try to picture that moment. Did you get new security cameras installed or a new lock on your door? If you were in America, you might have got a new gun on your hip. There are these moments in our lives where we feel so secure. I was thinking through one of mine, and it was a few years ago now, and I... I've done a lot with basketball over the years, and I haven't for a while. And you're probably looking at me, and you're like, you are not a basketballer. That's why I'm standing on a platform. Um, but I was walking through beautiful Garden City. Uh, we just got a meal. We looked at the shops, and we were going to the movies. And I had two guys walking with me, two basketball players. Uh, one guy's name was Ben Barron. He was 201 centimeters and 110 kilograms, okay? And then I had another guy named John Valdre, who was 203 centimeters and 120 kgs. And both these guys are walking behind me like security guards. And as I'm walking through Garden City, not that this is part of my temperament, but I'm like, I could fight anyone I wanted right now. <laughs> I could just swing and no one would be able to stop me because I have these two guys that have my back. Those guys are huge. They are big basketball players. But even greater than that is the God of the universe saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Can we truly rest in that security? He continues on in verse 32 and he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, also, uh, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not only is he saying, if God is for you, who can be against you? He quantifies that. He brings in that justifying act. Oh, I've given up my son for you. I've given up to you what I beloved most, my son. Those of us that are parents, you know, sometimes we want to give up our children. Um, but the actual process of doing that would be heartbreaking. Um, and Jesus yet denied himself uh, for this payment of, of sanctification. I think a lot about um, when I was in uni, I studied kind of missions, and, and I read about these amazing people that gave up their lives to serve Jesus all over the world. And some of them have beautiful stories, but a lot of them don't. 
A lot of them lived very hard lives. They lived lives where they didn't see God do much work over 30, 50 years. And then they would die, and then amazing things would happen in that country after they died. And to me, I just think about that, and I go, that is so unfair. It is. Because if I gave up my life, you know, if I did all these things, and I served you for 30 years, and I only saw one person come to Christ, God, how is that fair? And the question since uni that I always ask myself is, if I had Jesus and that was it, if that single act of justification, if the single act of God giving us his son to die for our sins, if that's all I had in this life and that's all I was promised, is that enough? And there's moments, usually when my life is going good, that I can say, yes! That's the case. But oftentimes that's a harsh reality for us to live on. And not all of us are called to living hard lives and, and we live in a beautiful country and we have many blessings. But Jesus is saying, God is saying that if he's for us, who can be against us? And not only that, that he's given up his own son, that we could be made right, that we could be justified. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is in, indeed is interceding for us? So then we look at the judgment and condemnation side of things. Oh, wait. Jesus, the guy that died for us, is the one that's interceding on our behalf. It'd be like going in front of a court case, and the guy that's the most for you is also the judge. You'd feel probably pretty confident in that courtroom that whatever charges were against you would be ultimately dismissed. He's the one that, that justifies, so who's to condemn us? Ultimately, God has our back. He is for us. I don't want you guys to think that I'm preaching some sort of prosperity gospel because I'm not. Um, I'm not saying that bad things won't happen uh, here on the earth. But I truly do think that, that there is hope. I do think that God has our back. I think if you get a poor diagnosis in health, that two, you have two outcomes. You have God being the good physician, you know, and maybe a miracle happens. Or you have a hope in eternity that post this life, there is actually something bigger than us. You have a relationship breakdown. Either that gets resolved, or we know that no matter what goes on in our lives, God wants to be in relationship with us in real and authentic ways. And I don't want to diminish what anyone's going through at all, um, because I know that we live in a broken world, and we live in a world that things aren't going to work out, and we're going to have struggles and issues. But I truly think that God has our back if, 
if, if we are in a relationship with him, if we seek him out, that he actually wants the best for us. Second, nothing can separate us from his love. Starting in verse 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Pretty much he labels everything that we can go through. Can any of that separate us? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day, all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see in this text, he's saying two different things. He's asking the question, if God's for us, who can be against us? And then he's going so far to say, so what can separate us from his love? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God who is truly the creator of this universe, if we believe that, is wanting to have real relationship. But what can separate us? And the answer is nothing. That's what we read in scripture, and I, I actually think that's partially false. Because I think what happens is we separate ourselves from God. I think God's offering this free gift that's open uh, uh, to us, but sometimes we just don't feel him, or sometimes we don't uh, understand him in a deep way. And it's so easy to say that because of our position, the way we live our lives, our relationship with him. It would be like a friend I had way back in the day who I'm like, I just don't feel as close to them. It's because I haven't talked to them for 15 years. Sometimes we put blockers in and separation. It reminds me of this old poem by Mary Stevenson, uh, which you guys probably know, called Footprints on the Sand. It said, one night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there were one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods in my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that, I, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. 
I think like Mary expresses in this poem, there are times in our lives where we don't feel close to God, or, or there's times when things go on, and it may be due to sorrow or anguish or suffering. It can be due to things that are probably uh, irrelevant, like busyness, that affect our spiritual lives. But I don't think that truly reflects God's relationship or closeness to us. I think it reflects a bit more of our posture back to God. I was once told uh, that no matter how many steps you take away from God, it's always one step back. And I love that imagery because I love this idea of we work and work and work and work so hard and, and we try to do things ourselves. And when we get so caught up that, that this world's not going to satisfy us and, and the things that we're trying to achieve on our own are going to satisfy, are not going to satisfy us, that he's right there waiting with open arms. So today, very simply, as we looked at this text, as we think, just as we look at God's everlasting love, the two things I want you to walk away with are God has your back. And nothing can separate you from God's love. Let us live lives that not only believes these things, but lives it. Let us pray. Dear Lord, just as we seek your face in all the things that we do, as, as we try to uh, go about what you have called us to here on this earth, we know we're not promised an easy road, and we know that things won't always go the way that we have planned. But your sheer act of sending your son to die for us, of making us right with you, is enough. That we truly want to live lives that, that think that and, and know that you have our back. And that we would know your love in deep and real ways and, and know that nothing can separate us from that. So Lord, just as we leave this place and as we go out into the rest of our week, let us live lives that not only understand that, but show your love too. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.